Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and on Power Training. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. to foster care an unparalleled journey with jason and amanda today we're talking with mary rose maloney mary rose maloney is a foster parent coach i found online and i thought i don't really know what that means but it actually sounds like the sort of thing that makes sense right because like we got kids in football right yeah (laughs) we've had kids in cheerleading yeah and then soccer yeah and a few other things i can't remember because we have like a thousand kids but every one of them has had a coach oh yeah wrestling 4-h and so on yeah yeah all that stuff and so (laughs) we we i was thinking we were doing this foster care thing and obviously we stepped right into it knowing everything we needed to know right yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe not so much there's a lot of stuff that we don't know that would be have been awesome to have somebody help lead us through it we unfortunately chose to like bang our heads on the wall trying to figure this stuff out (laughs) so I am excited to talk to somebody who knows how to help people get started in this world and help them through the struggles. How are you doing today, Mary Rose? I'm doing well. How are you? We are doing great. The kids are quiet. For the moment. They had lunch. They were happy. It's been a great day. That's a blessing. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) And only parents with kids know just, well, I guess all parents have kids. Yeah. (laughs) But we're the ones who know what that, re- that how that truly is a blessing. Some people still live in a house where it's just a husband and a wife. What? Yeah. Quiet. We come home from work <laughs> and it's just the two of you. And we don't have that in our world. As a matter of fact, we have trauma that shows up at our house and hangs out for a while. And, you know, Mary Rose, I'm just curious, what brought you into this idea of being a foster care coach? Because that's such a brilliant sounding idea. I can't believe I haven't heard it before. Well, it's funny that you say um, that you were, you know, banging your head against the wall and that's how you kind of figured things out. Cause I actually hear from a lot of foster parents, a similar thing, like, Oh, I could have used you, you know, five months ago or a year ago or, you know, whatever. So I could have had your insight. Cause I just, you know, had to make my own mistakes and figure it out. Um, and that's, so I was a case manager for um, about two and a half years. And that's kind of what I saw, especially with new foster parents is just a lot of things that this they just didn't know. Um, and I actually ended up taking the foster parent training class, even though I'm not a foster parent myself. And I realized that there's so many things that are just like completely missed in that class. Um, And so that was kind of the start of it. So when I would have like new foster parents that I'd work with as a case manager, I'd actually spend a lot of time doing things similar to what I do now, like helping them, you know, understand the back end of the system a little bit better, um, helping them prepare, you know, for court because we do, um, I, I think nationwide, it's, you know, kind of a, an expectation that foster parents um, will or can advocate in some way for the kids in their care. And it's stressful for a lot of foster parents to do that. So I'd coach, 
you know, unofficially coach a lot of foster parents through that um, back when I was the case manager. And so I, that's how it started. I just kind of decided to turn that into a job. That's great. You know, I know the first time we went to court and Amanda, for some reason, they always want to say, foster mom, do you have any questions? Do you have any, you know, they'll ask her questions and I'm sitting over there like, hey, hey, this guy over here. I'm here too, <laughs> but it's so often the foster moms and Amanda was there and, you know, the court made her a little apprehensive, a little nervous. For you sure. Know? And personally. Oh, no, a lot nervous. <laughs> personally, I don't get it. I'll stand up in front of a room of anybody and talk. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so it's easy for me to stand up and do that. But I know a lot of people have some apprehensions about, about speaking in front of people. I recently heard, you know, that the, the fear of death is considered the greatest fear for most people. Like the biggest fear, it's bigger than the fear of dying. You would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. That's not me, but a lot of people have that fear. It's a, it's, it's a big thing. Sure. So how do you help people figure out how to stand up and not only say something, but know that what you're saying is going on record in a court document. You've got judges and lawyers and caseworkers. And, and if you're standing here as a foster parent, there's probably a bio parent listening intently to every word you say. And depending on who they are, maybe even pulling that apart a little bit, trying to, to figure out how they can blame you for something. Because well, there are some great bio parents. Don't get me wrong. They're not all horrible. But there are some <laughs> who are really looking to twist your words around a little bit. So how do you coach people through that kind of a fear? So it depends on the person and what they need. So a big part of it is preparation. So if a foster parent comes to me, you know, needing help preparing for a specific court hearing, then we work on, you know, what what they need to say and what they want to say for that specific court hearing, because obviously the more prepared you are, um, the better you'll feel, you know, presenting and saying what you need to say. Um, And I think a lot of foster parents are mostly apprehensive because there are things that they might say that you're right, like make some some people, you know, maybe the judge or the case manager kind of go, ooh. And if you know that foster parent, you know they're coming from a good place and you know that, you know, their intention is to say this, then it's fine. But when you're in a courtroom with lawyers and a judge and a bio parent that may not like the words coming out of your mouth, then yeah, it's like every word that you choose is, oh my goodness, is this going to upset someone? Is this going to upset someone? And because I have so much experience um, in the back end of the system and just being in court all the time, I kind of have an ear for those phrases of, ooh, you know, that may be taken this way. And let's see how we can, you know, rework the wording so that you sound a particular way. A lot of foster parents come to me and they're like, you know, I, I'm not anti-reunification, but I don't think that mom's ready, but I don't want to be that foster parent, you know, that foster parent that people think just wants this kid all for themselves and just like, you know, hates bio mom and whatever, whatever. So I help foster parents portray that they're not that foster parent. Um, So that's, that's part of what we work on, especially if there's a specific court hearing. And then if it's more just in general, um, you know, just a general anxiety around court, um, then we kind of work on some like fun, I think they're more fun tactics to work through that. Um, 
so we do things like, you know, creating a routine the night before that you, you know, it's your go-to routine before every court hearing, creating a morning routine. Um, I created this one thing for a client that I, I just love, <laughs> um, where she picked a scent, like a, you know, she was, she was really into essential oils. So she picked, you know, a blend of essential oils. And I told her, you know, wear the blend of essential oils when you do fun things first, like go for a bike ride, hang out with your husband, cuddle, you know, your foster daughter, like do all these fun things and then take that scent. And that's going to be a scent that you bring with you to court. So you can rub it on your wrist and smell it and it'll automatically make you feel happier, calmer, um, and that'll kind of set your mind up to go into the courtroom, not as like anxious. I have all kinds of little tips and tricks like that, that I bring out for different clients. No, I was just saying that sounds like a really neat idea, you know, scent associated with good memories is memories from when they're a little, you know, grandma cooking something specific and for sure. that's a really neat idea. Really thinking out of the box. Well, yeah, they say that scent, the scent of, yeah, no. The sense of smell, I'll get it out of my mouth, <laughs> It's one of the most powerful senses. It brings back a lot of memories, and so I wouldn't have even thought about that. I love the idea of the morning or the nighttime routine. You know, um, I'm in this dad's group that I talk about all the time on here, and uh, but uh, one of the things we talk about a lot is just morning routines. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Hal Elrod and his book, um, The Miracle Morning. I think I've heard of it. He has a, an entire routine, you know, it's, it's a six part routine. And for the people who know about it, they know all about savers and what it means. And, and the idea though, is that, that you start your day a specific way and, and you take that into the evening and end your day a specific way. And it helps to, to prepare your mind and your body just to get ready for, to have a good day, you know, and, and it sounds like you're doing exactly that, almost using the same mentality, the same psychology of what Hal Elrod is talking about, but taking it to a a foster parent who's about to do something that might be fairly stressful for them. So that's a great exactly. tip there. Exactly. What else do you see as far as the key phrases that, that people want to avoid saying in court? You know, what, what triggers the, the workers or, or the judges? Because that's ultimately who we're all trying to talk to is the judge. Hmm. I should have come prepared. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. You know, it's one of those things when you just hear a certain sentence, you're like, okay, that could be twisted, you know? Um, think of an example maybe from a client I've had recently. So I had a client recently who, it was a re-removal. So this um, particular child that she had in her care, she had had before, um, child was removed again and so the advocacy right from the beginning needed to look a little different than it normally did right because like normally you start out very I hope that this parent can get it together I hope that you know like she can get this child back and I'm like on her team but she already has experience seeing a pattern that still has not broken over a number of years. So we kind of went into, you know, what are you going to say at the next court hearing? Um, and she, she, cause I worked with her for a while already has an ear for some of those things. So she would say something and then correct herself, but something that she said 
I, I would probably just say, you know, those negative thoughts in your brain that are just very, you know, the ones you wouldn't say out loud. I Sometimes you never have those. No. <laughs> Me neither. Right. Perfect here. <laughs> of course. I just say them out loud. Well, and that's the thing is sometimes, you know, they do come out out loud. And um, so if you were going to say like, well, how about you give me one? How about that? Well, I, I can give you a real world example. We had a little girl who um, who struggled with eating, you know, with issues around food. She was mm -hmm. always hungry, always wanting extras, always wanting seconds, always wanting another portion. And so I had to really be careful how I, how I mentioned that in court. Because one of the things that I know is that if I say the right thing the right way, it sounds like I'm saying this kid is not being taken care of. She's being starved. And I know that that's going to bring bring about it sounds like I'm trying to point a finger and, and be really super negative. Right. So I was very intentional with the way that I said it. But I don't think I don't think her biological mother necessarily felt like I was being as intentional about it. She still to some level seemed like she felt like I was trying to attack her. For sure. Yes. And especially, especially with biological parents, you know, they have a lot of stake in the game more so than a judge. You know what I mean? They, they have a whole child that they're, or children that they're terrified most of the time to lose. And so a lot of times bio parents are going to be defensive regardless of what you say. Um, but I think saying things in a way that the judge, the case manager, even maybe the bio parents therapist, um, in a way that kind of, you know, seems, I guess, correct to them is helpful because even then if, if bio mom goes to therapy, right. And her therapist got the, the idea from you that you were being intentional and that you weren't trying to say like, oh, this child's being starved and, you know, bio mom's a terrible mother. This therapist can help bio mom understand that a little bit better. Yeah, because in this particular instance, I don't think that she'd been starved or anything. We've actually had kids come through our house who one little boy came out eventually that he got a cup of water a day if he was good. Oh, wow. And he could rarely be good enough. And food was a real, real scarce thing for him. And it was her form of punishment for him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when he came into care, he was, he was three years old, if memory serves. And he was wearing clothes that were at least a year and a half too small for him. Mm -hmm. And they were loose. You know, wow. he, was, he was very malnourished and he had been treated that way. And that, that all came out through the course of the case. But, I don't think this, this little girl has not been starved. She's not been, you know, she's not malnutritioned, but she has some issues around food. And so I was just trying to make sure that, Hey, here's a thing that you guys need to know about. Like, this is a thing and it's real sure. and it's something in her life and it could cause problems later on down the road. And I think it's important for me to tell that part of it and say that, Hey, this is a thing that I want people around us to be aware of so that as she moves forward, maybe she can get some therapy, she can get some help or we can work through it. But just so everybody knows the whole story, but it, it wasn't a, an accusation thing. But right. like I said before, sometimes I just say it, and <laughs> and and I think to some extent it came out in in the way that she was she heard me talk because I, what she said was I think really poignant that that they you know she got defensive, 
and what when I said something, it appeared to spark her defensiveness. It's it's that fear that it's, that sparks the amygdala and has that that reaction from people who aren't taking the time all the time to to take a minute and slow down and respond, especially when they're afraid of something like losing their kid. So, what exactly. you're saying makes a lot of sense. Yes, I think a lot of bio parents go into court and automatically get into like fight or flight mode which again makes a lot of sense like there's that fear so it's hard it's hard to listen when you're in fight or flight mode which we see of course in kids in foster care as well there's a lot of things that I see in kids in foster care that if you take them and you realize that the adults not even just the bio parents but foster parents case managers everyone the adults in the room also were children at one point or have a I don't know if you've heard of like an inner child there's a lot of things that can apply because we I think foster parents or at least the you know the good foster parents um think a lot about like, okay, what is going through this child's mind? And we can actually use those same skills to think about, okay, well, what's going through bio mom's mind, bio dad's mind, everyone else that's involved. It's a big part of what these, uh, what the parents and the kids experience. There's a lot of fear in there. Mm -hmm. Um, do you, have you ever worked with the kids much as far as that's concerned or do you work primarily with the parents? I mean, I'm certain as a caseworker to some level, you, you dealt with the kids. Yes, definitely. As a case manager, um, I had a lot of hands-on experience with kids. I unfortunately had a lot of kids on my caseload that would disrupt placements, um, and be between placements quite often. So you kind of, as a case manager, become like a, almost a temporary foster parent, you know, foster parent for a day or for a night sometimes, you know. Um, So I I did like I did work with, um, yeah, the kids in care a lot. How did you work with those kids when they were in their own place of fear? Did, Did you find a good way to help them work through that? So, you know, sometimes things go well and sometimes they don't so I'll say sometimes (laughs) yes (laughs) sometimes I found ways to uh to work with kids for sure um a lot of teenagers you know I'm I'm on the younger side of uh the majority of case managers so a lot of times the teenagers on my caseload or even the teenagers on other people's caseloads who were you know in my same unit um would kind of identify more with me um and I would identify more with them. Uh, And so I think just having that empathy that maybe it's easier to have if you've been a child more recently is really helpful. And so the way that, you know, people who haven't been a child in a while, I think can kind of get on that same level is to think about like when you were 10, like, okay, when I was 10, I was in a fifth grade, whose class was I in? You know what I mean? Picture yourself as 10 and then picture, okay, what if this happened to me? How would I feel? And that is, you know, that's an easy way to get yourself into that mindset and to really get on that level and connect. Well, are you trying to say that some of us here may not have been a kid recently? <laughs> I'm, I don't know. <laughs> as my son would tell you, dad, you're old. You don't get it. but that's the thing is that we all were kids at some point so you can't you totally can get it 
we can. Unfortunately for them, sometimes we get more things than they than they want us to. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> but that, that's always been a challenge, I think, for for a lot of foster parents is making that connection with kids and mm-hmm. figuring out how to how to have a kid look at you and realize that hey, this guy over here is is just another human. And we've had some of the same experiences and, and we can have a relationship between us. It doesn't have to be quite so positional. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the struggles we've dealt with a lot is, is understanding that difference between positional authority and relational authority, because most foster kids do not have that relational authority with you figured out because, well, because you don't have a relationship yet. They just showed right. up at your house maybe a day or a week or, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and they still don't trust you. How, how have you helped foster parents build that trust with kids? That's a great question. How have I helped foster parents build trust with kids? I think it really is just encouraging them to be empathetic. And, you know, something that I've seen, again, with, with teenagers a lot, is kind of this desire to push, like this desire to, oh, like, I really want you, even if it's even if it's just, I really want you to talk to me about this issue because I really want that relationship with you and I really want to help you work through things. You know, sometimes that push can become too much and we need to just back up and give, you know, kids their space and they'll come to us, especially, that's especially true with teenagers. But I think it's also just especially true with kids in care because like you said, they don't know you. So they need time to, observe from a distance and make sure that you are like safe and cool and not like just someone that wants to get their story out of them and they don't know why. Oh man, I'm in trouble if I need to be cool. (laughs) Not cool, like cool, cool, like, you know, chill, (laughs) calm. (laughs) I don't know. I've been told enough that I'm not cool. I'm starting to believe it. I think we get told we're old more than anything. You're old, mom. You know, I told my mom that a lot as a kid, too. (laughs) Yes, yes. I've learned to just appreciate the blessing of being old because the alternative is a little bit grim. Yes, true. And I don't think at at 12 or 14 or 16, you, you quite get that yet, but... But yeah, that that's some some great advice. Learning how to to just take a step back and and not be right up in uh, in the middle of trying to force a relationship because that rarely works with a kid. For so sure. when it comes to the to the foster parents' ability to keep from breaking a placement, because I know you said you you saw a lot of placements get broken. How yes. do you help foster parents, or you know, what are ways that that foster parents can really focus on staying with a placement that may be challenging so that you're not breaking that placement and causing more trauma in the long run. So the biggest thing that foster parents need is support. I'm sure, I mean, I don't have to tell you that. I'm sure you know that. So the biggest thing that I work on with foster parents right up front is who's in your network of support. It's even in, it's in my questionnaire that I send to new clients, because that's what I want to know right up front. Who's in your network of support? How do they support you? Who do you go to when you need advice? So that's normally, you know, a more experienced or just another foster parent. Who do you go to when you just need to cry it out? You don't want any advice. You just want to cry. Sometimes that's, you know, that's grandma, like that's foster parents, mom, or 
foster parent's best friend. Um, and who do you who do you call when you need a break? That's the biggest one. Who do you call when you need to leave the house? Because obviously you can't with younger kids, especially just up in abandoned ship. <laughs> so who do you call when you need that? And uh, and the the foster parents that have someone always do much better. The foster parents that are you know in it alone, that's who I've seen break a placement. That's not always the case, but that I think is is the major thing is just not having someone that can come over you know in an emergency or at least can come over this weekend you know to give you a break. Now, what about the parents who are say you know out in rural Utah or? rural Missouri, where we happen to be. And you don't have a whole lot of people that, around that, that fit that, that category. People you can you can have come watch the kids for a while because, you know, with our past, Amanda was working ridiculous hours. I was working ridiculous hours. We didn't have a whole lot of time to build relationships with other people and other family. Sure. Are there any online groups or, or do, do, does that sort of support, I think, to some extent help maybe not take that take the place of it but at least help you to find your own place of calm so that you can continue forward for sure yes and I'm I'm actually working on developing a group program right now that I'm hoping can kind of serve that same purpose obviously like I can't come through the the phone or the computer to you and you know watch your children for a while but we can create this space of calm um, where maybe you put your kids in front of a screen for an hour, which I tell foster parents all the time, screens are not evil. I think a lot of parents put pressure on themselves. Oh, my child can't be in front of a screen, you know, or only an hour a day, which is good. You know, only an hour a day is good. But if you need two hours, three hours, four hours in the time of COVID, however much it is for a day, it's fine that's not evil so you can put you know your kids in front of a screen for an extra hour and still get your break that way and still you know come into a community and a space where you can just kind of calm down talk it out be real about it you know you don't have to be so I don't know if buttoned up is the right word, but you know, you have to act a certain way in front of your children and you can't just say, oh, you're such a little, uh, but you know, <laughs> you can call your best friend and be like, oh my goodness, they're just being such a brat today. I can't stand them. And so <laughs> if you can, you know, park them with maybe some headphones, some noise canceling headphones for a bit <laughs> and kind of just come into a space where you can relax and get it out. I think that's really helpful too. Yeah. Again, back to that part where I just say it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and I mean, all parents do. That's where apologies come in. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's a big piece of it, you know, that learning to, to realize when, when you stepped outside of your bounds, because God knows I've been there a time or two and I've had to go back to my kids a time or two and say, Hey, you know what? Yesterday you were kind of in a bad mood. I was not in a good mood either. And we kind of butted heads and I, I was, you, you were kind of being a jerk and I, I responded as a jerk as well. I shouldn't have done that. Apologize to them. And you know, that that's a skill set that I don't think we're necessarily born with. No, not at all. You know, that's not something that that's easy for us to pull off, but for me, that's been helpful when I've been able to do it. Yes, for sure. It is. And it is, it's a skill that you have to work on. We're definitely 
definitely not born with it. I come from a, a psychology background, you know, studied psychology in college. And um, I couldn't tell you like what the principle was or what part of your brain it is or anything like that. But you're definitely not born with it. You're not born with having any kind of other perspective other than your own and you do have to work on that and you do work on that a lot through just having relationships with other people yeah that's that's one of those difficult things that i think a lot of foster parents struggle with is is finding that empathy in those moments with a kid who may be like just totally losing their stuff right Right. i mean if you've been around kids in trauma very long you've you've seen a kid lose their mind for sure I have one particular kid that we could um, we could both remember the the fits when he first showed up at our house that would last for forty five minutes to an hour at a time, and it was blood curdling screaming. That I mean, the only break that was there was on the inhale. <laughs> that was it, yeah. and it was forty five minutes to an hour of nonstop, and it was that was hard for us. Oh, it was hard, especially because we had never experienced that before. That was our very first placement too. So we were totally unprepared, unexperienced. And I mean, in the end, we just had to ride it out with him and be where he was at the moment. And that was the best thing that we could do. But man, it took some time to figure that out because I mean, we had been parents before we had biological children, but we had not experienced that level of trauma before that manifests and at first the first time i was like oh my god what did i do you know i broke it (laughs) (laughs) you know but i was so unprepared he taught us a lot and he's becoming a, a great young man you know but even now coming into later teenage years you know that trauma revisits and sometimes the feelings come back and you know you're just left unprepared for sure. I know you said you had a psychology background. I can only imagine that you probably had to have like had some sort of conversation in school about trauma. For sure. What's what kind of advice can you give to foster parents who are listening about how to deal with trauma? Because that's such a big topic. Yeah, that's a huge topic. Um, for such a broad topic, I'm going to give a broad answer, which is just study as much as you can about it read as much as you can listen to as many podcasts as you can different trauma is going to present in different ways so there's really not even a general statement that I can give like you know reactive attachment disorder rad how you have to act as a parent for a child with rad is completely different than you know how you might have to act as a parent for a child that doesn't have any trauma so it's kind of a matter of like one helping identify what is going on with the child in your care and that might be advocating for evaluations um you know keeping track of any kind of symptoms or behaviors that you're noticing so that you can get accurate information about what might be going on with them and then just learning all about whatever that is and how you know what's worked for other parents um yeah that and just patience I mean it's it's hard but trauma the only the only thing that heals trauma is relationships that's it we can medicate our kids don't get me wrong a lot of our kids need medication we can medicate our kids we can put them in therapy 
but the only thing that's actually going to heal any trauma is having a stable relationship with another person with an adult um and that's you know that's hard and I think that's hard for a lot of foster parents to hear because it's it does just take patience who could you recommend for people to look up books, any particular books or authors or, or online resources about trauma that, that you've used in the past? Hmm. I would definitely say, and I know, I feel like you guys talk about him on a lot of your um, podcasts. I know we talked about him on the phone the, the other day. Um, John DeGarmo, I just always start there. He has, he has access to so many resources about different things um there's a ton of books of course none that i can think of the title of off the top of my head yeah dr degarmo he is the uh director of the foster care institute if i remember right for sure um yeah he does a every day or is it every day during the week there's like an hour or something he answers questions you can you know it's an online deal you type in your question and he answers them and he does like an hour a day and yeah on um on his facebook group which I wish I could tell you the name of. I'll have to tag it in the show notes because I can't remember the name of this group right now. I would get it wrong if I quoted it, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I know I know that I've learned a ton off of YouTube just looking at videos from Karen Purvis. Mm-hmm. She seems to be like the godmother of, of all things TBRI. You know, for anybody not familiar, that's trust-based relational interventions, which is more or less has a lot to do with exactly what you're saying is learning how to build that trust and build a relationship, a healthy relationship between the child and an adult and, sure. you know, and build that relationship so that you can intervene inside of their, their trauma response. Exactly. So yeah, there, there's a lot of, a, a lot of um, resources out there to be able to find some help with that trauma. That's been something that, that we've had to learn because we came into it. You are probably a little bit younger than me, at least a bit, um, maybe more than a little bit. But I was raised in, the, in the generation that said, uh, suck it up, get over it. Mm-hmm. You know, be a man. Men don't have emotions. And for, yeah. for those of us in that in that age bracket, my wife is obviously much younger than I am. So she wasn't <laughs> there, I'm sure. <laughs> see see how i keep myself out of trouble here (laughs) Uh, but but i mean for people who are raised in that age bracket i mean what would you say to somebody who was raised with that idea who believes that you know just suck it up and move on is is an appropriate answer well i think that takes a lot of self-reflection um which it can be kind of hard to go there with yourself because you have to realize how that attitude and how you were parented didn't serve you in some ways um and not everyone you know not everyone wants to hear that but you have to ask yourself you know if my parent would have attacked parenting differently how would that have made me feel and how might have things changed for me how might my how might my relationship with my parent you know change for me or the way i viewed you know, myself as a child, um, and then kind of realized that the way that you were raised, and I mean, I do think, you know, we were, we were raised probably several years apart, but, (laughs) but even, um, even my mom, who is a saint, um, 
still had some of those attitudes, you know, when she raised me of just uh, suck it up or her, her favorite phrase was get a grip, which is like, ugh, still so triggering to me, get a grip. <laughs> I will never, ever say that to my child. Um, but you have to realize like how that didn't work for you. Get a grip never allowed me to, I, I never responded to get a grip with, oh, okay, I'm not going to have a tantrum anymore. You know, so you have to think about that and realize that if it's not working, so you have to change it. You have to learn something new. Yeah, you saying that reminds me that uh, ours used to be get a helmet. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was a a short version of my sister's phrase, which was life is hard, get a helmet. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. I heard that one. Never did that ever really help. I, I can't recall a time that, you know, that made my kid be like, Oh, all right. I'm going to stand up and behave now. I'm not going to this piece of candy or whatever it may be at the time. Exactly. Even just like take a deep breath may have been better, you know? And I think that's what she meant. Like just take a deep breath, calm down. But if you can, if you can come to your child with an action step on how to calm down instead of just, Hey, calm down, it's going to be more effective. Well, it always works, especially when Amanda gets upset with me when I just look at her and tell her, you need to calm down. <laughs> yes, it works really well. Yeah. She also has a frying pan now. Cast out, oh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you're you're so right on that. And I wish somebody would have told me that years ago because, you know, our oldest children are around 20-ish now. And our youngest <laughs> are closer to five and six. And there's a couple in the middle and the older ones, you know, they see me sometimes when the kids are kind of losing their, their mind like kids do. Mm-hmm. And I will sit with a, a five-year-old sometimes and say, Hey, come here, come here, stand right here take a deep breath. And he looks at me. I don't want, I don't care if you want to, let's just take a couple deep breaths and we'll, and we'll, we'll work through this. And then we have a different conversation and he walks out and, and my, my 22 year old son, who's he's married and moved out. But when he's at home and he sees that he's, he looks at me, and goes, where was this guy when I was a kid? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I'm sure that he turned out great. I turned out fine. You know, but it's, it's well, for one thing, it would have just been easier on my mom if she, you know, it, it probably would have just been easier on you if you would have just had those skills before. Yeah, because yeah, the truth is, I'll tell you where that guy was. He was still being built. <laughs> right. Yeah, we were we started off as as young parents, you know, and I remember, you know, there were several times that uh, me and Jason, we talk about it now, but, you know, when the children were younger, we'd be in the store and there'd be a kid throwing a fit or whatever. And, you know, we were young and naive and we didn't know any better, but we'd tell her what would happen if you did that. Oh, we'd get our butts busted. That wouldn't be tolerated. But, you know, that that's the thing. We as parents, we judge and we get judged so critically and the way we parent our children now to what we did back then is completely different. Um, but I guess what I'm I'm trying to get about is, is, you know, just because you have to parent differently doesn't mean you, sh- you need to be judged for that. But so often we are, you know, we've got criticism flying from everywhere, you know, oh, they just need their butt whooped. They need this. They need that. Everybody's willing to tell you what they need, but they're not willing to invest in that child. For sure. Yeah, and for foster yeah. parents who voluntarily invested in kids, 
that that's something that that we have to realize that that investment needs to be more than more than what was necessarily given to us. We we need to really educate ourselves and find a way to invest in that. And and so finding people like you who can help us do that is is an amazing resource because God knows there's not a lot of people out there teaching this stuff to people and especially in the moment when we need it. So, you know, when you do your sessions with your clients, do you help them work through those things? For sure. A huge, a huge part of what I work on is just taking different perspectives, which if you really break it down is it's just empathy. Um, So that is a huge. And, and so we work on, you know, taking um, the child's perspective which is kind of like I said, you go back to your own childhood first and try and get in that mindset. Um, And then you work on changing the factors, you know, adding in the factors that the child that you're trying to connect with is going through what that would have looked like in your own childhood. And that's kind of how you start to get that perspective. So we go through that kind of perspective, um, bio parents perspective all the time, because that one can be really hard to get in that mindset um you know we've all been children but if you were a if you're a foster parent it's very likely that you were never a parent whose child was removed so that one's hard so we go through a lot of perspective things um and that's where really the coaching like the the coaching questions come into play um because it is just like really step-by-step working through that close your eyes imagine kind of stuff we have teenagers right now that well we have a lot of teenagers we have three teenagers in the house yes yeah i have Yikes. to think sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yep there's three of them today and so it's really easy to step into those moments of those kids where they're hitting those teenage moments anyways and if you're just a, a biological parent who has teen kids and they don't ever challenge you and they don't cause you problems, you should probably call a doctor something's wrong with them. <laughs> Definitely. So when you take kids who've been through trauma, and I mean, let's be honest, all kids in foster care have been through at least one trauma, even if it's just the trauma of losing their first family. Exactly. You know, we've got a little guy with us who's four, and no, he's five, and one who's six, about to turn seven, he told yes. me today. <laughs> And everything he wants for his birthday as well. He told me that too. But these guys, you know, these guys are not going to have a memory of and that first family. If somebody's handing out a Nintendo Switch, yeah, <laughs> he would love it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Mail that too. Yeah. No, but, but they, um, you know, they're still going to have the, the trauma of having lost the first family because we're really open about, you know, where they came from and, and, um, and the fact that they are adopted and that they have a birth mother and a birth father out there somewhere. And so they, they know all that and they're going to have that, that trauma of having lost their first family. So that's definitely like you were saying, that's, that's the added stressors on top of things that we don't understand. For sure. And it, even if they didn't know, because you told them that trauma would still be there. There's, there's still something about, being removed from your biological parent that just causes a a misconnection of sorts. Um, If you follow any adoptees or former foster youth, which I'm sure you do, and you've had, you know, several on this podcast, they'll tell you like, it starts just in the beginning, even adoptees that were adopted at birth, like it's still there's something there that that still is a trauma. 
Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with Melissa Corkum. She has the cork board. Um, I believe she did a little bit of work with Karen Purvis, but we talked with her, and that was one of the things she she really you know drove home is that that trauma and how much that changes the brain in physical ways that we can't necessarily see, but it's there. For Even sure. if they don't remember it, you know what's uh, I think she recommended a book called the uh, the brain remembers or the body the body remembers something like that. I think it, yeah, I had to find that and put it in the show notes, but, but yeah, that's a yeah, good the, yeah. And, and so the body remembers, even when the brain forgets when you're young enough that you don't remember, because thank God there's parts of our early childhood. We don't remember <laughs> that had to be a horrifying time for us. Yes. What, <laughs> what life and existence was, but, but a kid who goes through that the yes. body remembers the brain gets physically changed and, and we have to deal with those changes in a different way than, then maybe we would deal with a kid who didn't have those specific traumas. And that's a difficult thing for us as bio parents, foster parents, adoptive parents, all the way around the board. That's a difficult thing to, to stay in that mindset and deal with. How do you show parents the importance of that, um, of, of realizing that? Because it's really easy to dismiss that. Yeah, it is so easy to fall into that too. I've, I have found myself starting to type that out in certain situations because it is just like, oh, like, I mean, it's, it's good that someone's parenting them, but like, that's no, that's not how this works. They're not lucky to be in this situation. Um, but when I, when I do, you know, come across foster parents or clients like that, I point them towards adoptees and towards former foster youth. Um, because I think that, you know, that like firsthand experience and that firsthand perspective is really the only source where you can like really truly start to understand, um, you know, what it, what it does or how it feels. Um, yeah, I, I love Anne Heffron. I follow her on Instagram. I don't know if you've heard of her. That doesn't sound familiar. No. She, um, she posts a lot of, um, just words, not a lot of pictures, just a lot of words, but a lot of the things that she says are just like mind blowing. Like I never thought about adoption that way. You know, I never thought about a connection with a bio parent in that way. I remember one of the things that I saw from her, like when I first started following her was, um, something along the lines of, I just wish that my adoptive mom would have had a curiosity about, you know, an, an open curiosity about my bio mom throughout my childhood. If she would have just asked like, hey, I wonder what your bio mom's doing right now. It would have started a conversation or provided some kind of connection between the two of them that would have been, I guess, more healing for her. Um, and that's not a perspective that I would have or could have even thought about. So I, I definitely direct foster parents and adoptive parents towards adoptees who really know what it's like. So I got to ask, what brought you into this this world to begin with? What made you go to college for with a psychology major or a psychology bend to your education and then want to come and work in the child welfare system? I feel like it was a culmination of so many things. I get this question a lot, of course, and I feel like I tell a different story every time <laughs> because there are so many things like I did have um, 
a friend when I was in elementary school who was in foster care um, and her placement did have to disrupt and she ended up with someone else in my school, I think a, a teacher or someone. Um, and, you know, she was a, a friend of mine and her first foster sibling was also a close friend of mine. And I think just that dynamic sort of opened my mind up to the fact that the world of foster care existed. Um, and then when I was in school later on, um, my mom was never an official foster parent, but my mom's the type of person that if she sees a need, she has to fill it. Like no matter how exhausted she is, no matter how many hours, like you, how, no matter how many hours she's worked that week, she has to fill it. So, you know, there were kids in my school that might need like a place to stay or just, just a parental influence or whatever, a ride to school the next day. So we just had kids spending the night and, you know, moving in and out from time to time. And I think that that also kind of started to create that empathy. Um, and then from there, I mean, in college, I actually went into college as an undecided major. I had no clue what I wanted to do. But um, I remember talking about maternal mortality rates in other countries. And I was like, adoption, I need to go into adoption. Like there's children in orphanages all over the world. And I started learning things about, you know, orf orphanages in um, like Romania and Hungary that were just like nightmares. And so I got really into international adoption all throughout college. Um, and so that's kind of what really brought me into this world. And then I had someone say like, well, why are you so focused on international adoption? Have you, you know, have you thought about adoption here in the United States? And that brought me to apply for my um, job in child welfare, be a, a foster care case manager. And then I just fell in love with foster care. I still, you know, I still love adoption, but my heart really is in foster care. Wow. It sounds like you came from a, a line of people who had a reason to care about young kids who needed somebody that's that's great that somebody like you can carry on your mom's uh your mom's tradition big shoes she has huge shoes but i hope i can fill them <laughs> <laughs> i think that's what we're all trying to do deep down in our, in our hearts is trying to fill our parents shoes so i know you have a program that where you work with foster parents how, how do uh, how does that work so um, I have a, like a one-on-one -on -one coaching program that's six weeks. Um, and so it's just, it, it just takes a message to me uh, to start a conversation on it. And then, you know, I usually have a, a call to kind of make sure that I can fit the need um, for a foster parent. And we work on, we can work on all kinds of things. So I, I tailor make obviously every program to the specific foster parent and what they need um, we work on things like boundaries boundaries I'm sure you know are a huge thing I might even say the most important thing in foster care and in life we work a lot on boundaries um, and like actionable boundaries creating you know steps not just oh well you should say no when you can't do something but creating actual phrases for the specific things that are causing you, you know, stress that you need to set boundaries around. So we work a lot on boundaries, a lot on self-care, which is very related. 
um, a lot on advocacy work, which is, you know, what we talked about, like going to court. Um, and obviously there's tons of other ways to advocate meetings, emails, phone calls. Um, we work on that and a lot of like just organization sometimes. And a lot of foster parents are like, oh, I don't need that. You know, I'm organized. Um, but you'd be surprised when you really start to look into it, how much simpler you can make your life if you almost automate some things, like if you just put on your Google calendar every week, you know, at whatever time on whatever day, I'm going to send an email to the caseworker with just updates and questions. So even if I've sent an email earlier in the week, you know, there's just something bullet pointed that keeps that line of communication open and organized that can really make your fostering experience so much easier so we work on things like that as well i love that because uh as a friend of mine has said a number of times what gets scheduled gets done and if you don't put it on your calendar right google calendar it's just i mean not a commercial for google i wish they would pay me to <laughs> be a commercial for them but the google right. calendar is so very helpful you know i have i have one for me for a couple different email addresses, Amanda has one. Our kids are are you know they're doing our younger kids are doing a virtual schooling thing, so they each have one through their virtual school, and we can share those calendars, and it's so very helpful because I can for we can sure. have those that stuff pop up in my calendar when she puts it in, and and we can sit down and work on some of those things together. So that that's that's a great way to help advocate for kids because, I mean, let's face it, we're all busy. Some of us, I think, are, are crazy mm -hmm. busy, myself included, but we're all at least busy. And that stuff can get overlooked pretty easily because, like right now, we, we've got a, got a kid staying with us. And primarily, we're just holding space. You know, there's, there's a, a family placement. It's an out-of-state deal. So the ICPC stuff that if people aren't familiar, it basically means we live in one state. The other placement lives right across the state line. You know, it, it mm. probably would actually take less time for them to sell the house that they're in and buy a house in our state. And it'd be probably quicker and easier for them to do that than to get through the ICPC process because you're dealing with two different state governments. And I'm not going to say state governments are slow, but sometimes a little, <laughs> a little. <laughs> and especially oh, yes. right now with COVID. Yeah. So, so we're, we're sitting, kind of sitting in that holding pattern. It's easy to let things go by and forget to to do those little things so that when we do get to court, you know, we court is now on, what is it? It's not zoom meetings. I think it's WebEx or something out here, but, but you know, it's all virtual court stuff that we're doing. And it's really easy to, to forget the things that you wanted to say when you're sitting in your, in your living room or your office or your kitchen. And, and you're just sitting in that, in a meeting for a few minutes once every month or two. So having those, those things worked out ahead of times could be a great, a great way to kind of plan out how to help a kid, the best that you can help them. Definitely. It's funny that you mentioned ICPC too, because I feel like I hear that all the time. Having been a case manager that had to do ICPC packets, ugh, they are terrible. They take so long. They're not even hard. It's just a matter of like finding so many documents that you might not have access to and the forms are confusing. And then like so many people have to review it and send it back to you. So it is such a long, huge process. And yeah, it's so helpful. I tell foster parents all the time when they bring up ICPC, it's so helpful if you just stay on a case manager about that. Like just 
text me every morning like just <laughs> make sure it does not fall off my list it does not fall out of my head um because yeah i mean as my my supervisor used to always say the squeaky wheel gets the grease and that is so true um and so yeah things like those weekly emails really help like hey still waiting on that icpc where are we on that icpc like yeah i have a forehead shaped important. dent in my desk from this one <laughs> <laughs> because i mean th this this particular kid's not a challenging kid to, to have around but at the end of the day what we're really shooting for is permanency and we're not going to be the permanent place for her i know that you know if if she goes back to mom that's awesome if not you know there's a good possibility the family member that, that where she'll be moving to could end up being a full-time placement and i would love to see her be able to get that piece of permanency under her belt Yes. And as you know, like the quicker that you can get to permanency, the better. Yeah. So that that's, that's some great advice on ways to get stuff like that done. Cause I don't know if there's anything in the system that takes more time than the interstate things. Oh my goodness. They're so terrible. And then just the fact that you have to rely on a different state, like that you can't just go to that you don't have necessarily connections in. Ugh. I will say this, if, if you're willing to, um, to really go search, and harass people you'll eventually you know figure out the right people to talk to i'm i'm not going to say i haven't talked to um the other states state capital about some of that stuff because it was taking a long time and and the other family didn't know how to get a hold of them and so i just went on a i went on a google search and found a few phone numbers and made a bunch of phone calls and eventually you know things took one step and now we're we're quite a few steps along the route so hopefully hopefully she'll find that permanency soon but that's that's what this is all about really is is us trying to find a kid who's in a struggle who's in a hard place and then do our part and maybe not just our part but do everything that we can to help them become a good productive member of society somebody who who makes it through this traumatic time without without too much added trauma that that we can maybe facilitate that to be a safe space for them for sure it's funny that you um y'all are my kind of foster parents because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny that you that you say you know you made phone calls until you basically made it happen and I advocate for foster parents to do that all the time I think a lot of foster parents are afraid of being annoying and I'm not going to tell you that it's not annoying because as a case manager, I've been annoyed at foster parents just like you, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, also so helpful. Like in the same breath that I mentioned, those foster parents are annoying. They're also my favorite because they get stuff done and that's what we need. So it is. And that's part of what I do too, is just let foster parents know you know especially foster parents that are less experienced than you guys who don't even know where to start on making those phone calls um i let them know you know there are numbers out there if you call your caseworker their voicemail should have their supervisor's number and if you call their supervisor's number their voicemail should have their supervisor's number and that's a good start right there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Email is an interesting thing. You know, you, all you have to do is get one person's email and it's usually, you know, be like, you know, for me, Jason dot Palmer at something. Right. And if you know that person's right. first and last name you're looking for that at something usually doesn't change. For sure. I was actually trying to get a hold of somebody at, in our state um, system for, for a, uh, talking about a foster care program that I'm working with, with a buddy of mine, uh, John Williams over at life that counts. And 
I, I hadn't gotten an email back from this person who was supposed to email me, but the person told me what their name was and it was, it wasn't that hard to put a first name dot last name there and, and shoot off a handful of emails till I got a response and we got it moved forward and ended up turning out that the state of Missouri, if, if this program ends up being funded, this, uh, the state of Missouri, the whole state is willing to use this program. So we're able to, to maybe impact a huge number of kids because yeah. it took a little bit of investigating work and mostly it was just guessing at uh, you know what the last part of the email address would be the same as the rest of it and and we could get stuff done but sometimes i think as foster parents we just need that push to be willing to be the bulldozer for sure because as a case manager i'm sure yes. you know that that they don't always have like time to sit back and eat bonbons and monster soap operas during their day Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone in the foster care world has time to sit back and chill. <laughs> no. no, even as foster parents, you're basically trying to make sure the house doesn't get burnt down by wild children. Exactly. That's not just foster kids either. <laughs> That's our own kids. <laughs> hey, they're all hard. <laughs> but yeah, so so it's it's just being willing to to be the bulldozer and push through and find solutions for kids and. Well, kids like that one, I don't know if you can hear him or not on your end, but I just heard a loud scream, so Amanda will probably be back uh -oh. in a minute. It didn't sound like a terrible scream. You, as a parent, you, you learn those sounds, right? <laughs> yep. You know, you learned it to, and, and you can hear that from almost any kid. As a matter of fact, I was we were at one of our kids' football games the other night, and I was walking out to the car for something because we're, we're they're allowing certain, you know, every player can invite two people so mom and dad can show up. And um, as I walk out to the car to get something, I see a little boy standing beside the the little building that had the bathrooms in it. He's on the end, and he's clutching a blanket, and he has this this cry that that just catches my attention. I'm like, I know that sound. I turn, and mm -hmm. there's a kid sitting there, and he's got a blanket in front of him. He's just clutching it, holding it for dear life, and he's crying. I went, oh, nope, this is a problem, kid. He has an issue. And I walked over and said, hey, mm -hmm. buddy, what's wrong? And as you can tell, I mean, the listeners can't see, but you can. This is not the face that most young kids you would think would immediately, you know, come to. But I can kneel <laughs> down and just, you know, change my face a little bit, calm my, my, what's going on, buddy? And he says through his tears, I lost my mommy. And I'm like, oh, well, hey, hang on. I know there's a police officer over here. Let's walk over here. Let's see if we can find him. And about that time, I heard a noise and looked down. Thank God he had he had grabbed his mom's cell phone. It was kind of tucked in the top of his blanket. And I said, is your mommy's name, whatever the name was on the screen? And he said, yes. <laughs> so I picked the phone up and answered it and said, hey, uh, is this, you know, so-and-so? She's like, where are you at? I, yeah, I told her. And, and she was able to come find her son. Her, her One of her children had gotten hurt. And in the in the shuffle, the little one had wandered off. And But you learn those sounds of those kids. And you go, yeah. And, and, and that's what we do, you know, on a larger scale. But it's it's those moments in our life that we realize that our goal here really isn't to to just make big money and buy fancy cars and houses and and that's our sole goal in life. But it's those moments where you can find a kid who's in uh, in their crisis, whatever it is, whether it be being abused and neglected and and starved and hurt, you know, or just a kid who lost mommy. And you can you can go, hey, I can provide you with a little bit of something. And there's so much in that moment that, that just resonates with me to be able to go, yeah, I, I helped somebody through a crisis today. And that little boy can never say thank you. It's not about that. It's not about making anybody else feel, you know, think that you're a great person, but it's just about having that moment where you can help someone. 
And I think that's what this foster care thing is all about. For sure. Yeah. And it is once you start helping, it is it's a skill and you start realizing. Yeah, you start realizing like, oh, this person needs help and I can totally help them in this way. Um, Yeah, you start you start to get almost it's like an ear for it or even an eye for it when you're in public like, oh, hey, this kid needs something for sure. Yeah, and we find our ways to do that. And it's it's great that we have people in this world who look at foster parents like us and go, hey, <laughs> there's some people out there who need help. Because, my mm-hmm. God, do we ever need help so many, you know, I'm not even <laughs> going to say weekly, maybe daily or sometimes hourly. Yeah, everybody needs help. So if people want to reach out to you and, and talk to you about your parenting or your, your foster parent program, how would they reach out and talk to you about that foster parent program? So the main way to reach me is through Facebook or Instagram. So on Facebook, I'm Mary Rose Maloney Dash Foster Parent Coach. And on Instagram, I'm just at maryrose.maloney. Um, and then I also have an email address, which is maryrose at maryrosemaloney.com. And I promise I'm not obsessed with myself. It's just that's how the branding works out. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that works. I did that for a while. Our first <laughs> website was actually my first and last name. And um, eventually I changed it because I found a better a better name for a website. But I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, it just it starts out that way. All right. Well, I think it's great that that you've chosen this route, you know, to help people who are trying to help others. It's something that that's just not really out there at this point. Are there many foster parent coaches that you know about? I've found maybe a total of three or four, um, but we all offer something a little bit different. And there's there's no foster parent coach that I've found that understands like the back end of the system. Um, so, you know, there's, there's the other three have been foster parents, which is helpful in a different kind of way, um, that I can't offer necessarily, but, um, nobody else has like a deep understanding of the system and advocacy and things like that. Well, we'll change that and we'll get you into the foster care system as well. And then you'll have the whole package, right? I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. I'm always trying to convince people to give it a shot, you know? Me too. (laughs) So, well, it was great talking to you today. I appreciate your time. And um, if there's anything else that we can do uh, as far as helping you out, I would love to be able to do that. And maybe we can, uh, we can find a a way to uh, collaborate on some other projects. For sure. I would love to. Thank you guys so much. Nice having you.